Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show, another crazy busy week. Got a different co-presenter this week. Frank's on a well-deserved week off. So we've got Ewan Larkin here, our reporter. How are you doing, Ewan? I'm doing very well, Steve. I'm happy to be back. It's good to have you back. We've made a decision not to talk about our favourite sport this week due to the weekend's <laughs> results, and that is uh, that. Is that. But uh, we will talk about a bunch of things, including our salary survey, which just came out today as we record this. We also had an interesting newsmaker interview with uh, Eileen Zeismer from Ulta Beauty. It's International Women's Day as we speak, so we'll get into that. Papa John's is brought on Edelman for IR and corporate support. Walgreens has got uh, enmeshed in a controversy around abortion pill access. And then social media managers forgetting to log out of their brand accounts. That's that's uh, come up in the news. Interesting one, that. But first of all, we're going to talk to our special guest this week. It's Jen Schuyler, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at American Express. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's nice to meet you, Ewan. Yeah, likewise. Great to have you on the show. And um, yeah, so you started at Amex. You've got had a storied career in some really interesting places at uh, WeWork, which I'm sure was interesting, Facebook. And you were a producer on CBS News as well. So we might get into some of those things. But you started at American Express in November 2019. Interesting timing, shall we say, because uh, we all know what happened three months later. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how it was coming on board and then so quickly being thrown into one of the biggest sort of uh, health pandemics of, of, in history? Absolutely. Well, Thanks again for having me. So I, as you said, I started in November of 2019. And in that process, you know, I was leading the team through a transformation, actually. And I had gone on a 90-day listening tour, collecting feedback from my peers, colleagues on the team, different partners, as I was conceptualizing my new strategy and new structure for the team. And if you do the math there, 90 (laughs) days butts up pretty much against when we started working virtually. So I remember distinctly that on March 16th, we sent out a note to our global colleague base saying that we were going to work virtually from the the next day on. So March 17th on the plan for my transformation and the announcement of my new strategy and structure structure was actually March 18th. (laughs) So... (laughs) So from that point on, you know, I, I was able to put my put the new strategy in place. And you know, during that time, what I reflect on Did you still go ahead with it at that time. So and with all, the strategy I did. Yeah. Okay. And during that time, you know, it's it's really pivotal. You're building trust with your partners and re- different relationships. And you know, I feel very fortunate though, because we were able to communicate so much of the good that was going on across our colleagues, our customers, and our communities. So we made the commitment to have no COVID-related layoffs for our colleagues because we really wanted to ensure that they had, you know, headspace to care for their loved ones at that time. Uh, We also transferred our entire colleague base virtually in a matter of two weeks. So that includes our servicing colleagues. So we went from traditional brick and mortar servicing centers to basically virtual at-home, home-based servicing centers. 
for our customers, and I hope we get into this a little bit more um, as we talk, you know, we were able to really deliver value on our products when people stopped traveling and going out. So we enhanced our value propositions uh, to actually uh, include benefits and offers on things like gas and groceries and the things that were really relevant at times. At that time, my favorite benefit is our streaming benefit, which we you know, also introduced uh, during that period of time. And then for our communities, we actually invested and contributed $6 million to different organizations, including the International Medical Corps and Feeding America. And one of my favorite partnerships from that time is actually what we did with Hilton, where we actually contributed 1 million hotel rooms to first responders who couldn't go home at night to their families because they didn't want to expose them to COVID. And we provided them with hotel rooms during that period of time. You know, that probably I, helped out the hotel business as well, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure, well, you know, and we talk about colleague engagement. I know, Steve, in the times that we've talked and, you know, what was really interesting is when I walked in the door, we had a very good colleague communications team. It's best in class. But to see how that was elevated during the period of time when we were all working virtually and then now in a hybrid environment has only carried through. So, you know, it was interesting when I was looking at how much work and content the team has produced in 2021. I think it was over 200 pieces of content. Last year, it was well over 500 pieces of content. This is colleague communications alone with over uh, 4 million uh, different views. So tell us a bit more about that, because that's something we've noticed as a trend over the whole industry, that employee engagement obviously was a a massive thing from the start of COVID. And people did started doing things a bit differently. The CEO might have had a more intimate relationship with staffers, be doing stuff from home. Uh, so you got a bit more of an insight, maybe more human. What were the things that you changed that actually you thought, wow, this is actually a better way to do it and we, you've persisted with? And did have you kept up that extra level of content or has that settled down a bit after, you know, you know we're not, you know, the pandemic's going to be with us forever, right? But it's certainly in the rear view mirror a bit now, something we we can live with. Yeah, so for us... Our CEO and chairman is a great communicator. And during that period of time, it was very important for him to have colleagues see him and hear him. So we actually introduced a weekly video series during that period of time where he would do a video every week so colleagues could see him and hear him. I would say, you know, in terms of our colleague communications, we definitely kept it up. We've always communicated in a very transparent and authentic way that's only continued to, to take place. You still do it every week. No, he doesn't do it every week. But, you know, he does hold uh, town halls every quarter. The majority of those town halls are colleagues asking him questions directly. So it's very important for him to, you know, maintain that line of communication with our colleagues. And, uh, you know, I would say, you know, just in terms of our team, we're continuing to produce a lot of content. It's really, really important because... A lot of our our workforce, the majority of our workforce is actually hybrid. So 20% of our workforce in the U.S. was uh, virtual before the pandemic. Most of them have, you know, a lot of our workforce is, is the same. But that just, I think, increases the importance on being transparent and authentic during this period of time. So you already kind of had that element quite a significant element, a fifth. What, what would you say it is now? And tell me what the attitude is now to hybrid working in terms of how many days people come in the office. And I'm thinking here of 
the comms team, but also the whole business as well, because you're you're one of the main conduits to that dialogue, I would imagine. So, you know, you're still committed to brick and mortar, yeah? But how do you get the mix right? Hybrid for us means colleagues come into the office on average one to three days a week. And like I said, we had pretty much been operating in a flexible environment pre-pandemic. So so that's that's only that's only you know going to continue. And and we're seeing great results. I mean, when I look at our colleague experience surveys, 92% of our colleagues say they would recommend American Express as a great place to work. So I we're seeing it in the results, you know, that our colleagues are very, very, very happy with the arrangement. I also think it's overall part of our colleague value proposition. Actually, when you look at our holistic, you know, benefits and compensation, I think flexibility obviously plays very much into that. And ninety percent of our colleagues say they feel very supported in their benefits when it comes to well-being. Yeah, um, and then then tell us about how you see that playing out moving forward. I think it's the biggest question in business, really, isn't it? How what are cities going to look like? What are how much of office building space is still going to be used like that? And how, you, how do you see that playing out over the next uh, few years? Well, for us, we've been longstanding supporters of small business. Uh, back to 2010, after the financial crisis with the introduction of Small Business Saturday, which I feel so fortunate to work on uh, each and every day. So, you know, what I will say is, you know, for us, it's an average of one to three days. I also would say, uh, when we talk about the hybrid work environment, we're very focused on having our colleagues come in with intention and purpose. So, for instance, you know, to support small businesses near our office, yeah. I'll have a team lunch where yeah. we can collaborate and connect with one another and interact with one another. So, well, you know, yeah, that, because we've seen small businesses decimate, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, so, you know? so I, I think, you know, when people are coming in for those one to three days for us, you know, they're really optimizing and maximizing the time. And in some cases, like with our team, we're supporting small businesses because we're, we're having a lunch, we're having coffees. We're really trying to maximize that connectivity when we see our colleagues. I think that uh, Small Business Saturday was, is a great success, but it's almost become like a year round thing, hasn't it? Because people during COVID were so reliant on small businesses and they had a new um, respect for what they did and, and they, they wanted to support them. So how do you see that evolving? I think they want to continue doing that. So how do you make small business Saturday like a once a year thing into more of an all, all around thing? <laughs> well, it's already, it's interesting. I mean, during the pandemic, we had shop small globally where we were supporting small businesses, you know, all over the world actually. And, um, I think it's, it's part of who we are. And I, I actually really appreciate the way, our team plugs in it to it as well and partners with our brand and, and marketing team on it. We actually launched our small business accelerator program. We partnered with TikTok the past year to help content creators connect with millennial and Gen Z audiences. So, you know, I think it's only going to continue. It'll iterate, you know, in the different ways that we do it, but it's been a longstanding part of who we are and that's only going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Now, look, while we've got you here, I've got to ask you about some of your interesting jobs before. <laughs> WeWork, four years at WeWork. What, what did you learn there? That was a, a roller coaster ride. And, um, I, I, you can't buy experience like that, I suppose. But um, what did what did you come out of that with? How did that sort of uh, bolster you for the future of your career? Well, thank you for that question. I, 
you know, looking back and reflecting on it, I would say when you're at a startup, you have to pivot and change a lot and you're changing directions a lot and you're constantly adapting and evolving. And I would say that experience definitely helped me walking into American Express three months before a pandemic when you're having to adapt and pivot and evolve very quickly to a rapidly changing situation. So you're looking back on it, I would say that experience was very helpful, you know, in in helping me where I am now. The other thing is, you know, part of the assignment at American Express was to put a new structure in place for the team and to transform the team. And at WeWork, and even at Facebook on a smaller yeah, scale, I, was going to ask you about I that as well. you know scaled uh, global teams, you know, and built global teams. So the experience in doing that definitely helped me at American Express when I had to make decisions on where I was going to invest, what the new structure would look like, and what the strategy would be. Yeah, because you were at Facebook from 2011 to 2015. I think a very different time in its history, but. Uh, I'm sure you were working with, were you working with Cheryl Sandberg back, back then? I was fortunate to work with her a few times. Yes. Yeah. So what, what did you learn from Cheryl in terms of business, but also great communication? Well, Cheryl's, a, I think she's a fantastic communicator. And what I learned from her and Elliot and the whole team, because it was a team of great communicators, like looking back, looking back on it. And I I think who I was working alongside and some of these individuals are still there. Yeah, I was learning a tremendous amount, but I would say the importance of a narrative and having the narrative serve as your foundation going forward with the, with your messaging and telling your story, that was such a key part of my experience there. That was pretty much ingrained in any strategy we put forth. So, so that's what I took away from that. And then, of course, you were a TV producer at CBS <laughs> News from 2007 to 2010. So how was it uh, making that transition from media to communications. We see a lot of people do it. Of course, there are, I think there's six of you now to every one of us. So it's, it probably, it was, uh, wasn't quite that back then, but uh, what, what was that like? And what was it? What could you take from being on the other side of the camera, if you like, to, to inform great communications? <laughs> well, Steve, it's so interesting though, because I just read a report last week about CCOs and there's only 8% of CCOs who were former journalists. So (laughs) I think we have some work to do to get more of us to come over to this side, but, but it was only 8%. That surprises me. I bet it's higher in agencies. Perhaps, perhaps, but, uh, but I will tell you this, and I know you know this very, very well. At the end of the day, the big connection between the two jobs, it's storytelling, Mm. right? It's the ability to tell a great story and to understand your audience and get a real sense of what your audience wants. And that is obviously very relevant to this role. The other thing I will say is whether you're dealing with a proactive moment where you're dealing with a product launch or something to managing an issue, you have to be a reporter. You have to gather the facts. You have to know everything and you have to understand what's going on because then it informs your strategy. So in that sense, the experience also really, really helped. And then the last thing I'll say is it really helps you determine the length of a news cycle, potentially, because having the experience on the other side of saying, okay, this piece we're going to produce, this could lead the news for a day, it could lead the news for a week. It's really helped inform my thinking on this side when I'm thinking, 
you know, whether it's a proactive moment or an issue that we're managing, how long is this going to last? So I find the experience to be incredibly relevant. Yeah, Lou, that's, you mentioned TikTok earlier and clearly since, you know, 2010, the media landscape's changed. It's got quicker. The attention spans have got less, haven't they? So it's, uh, where do you think uh, cable news is now? It's still important, isn't it? But it's certainly not especially for young people, it's certainly not the first place they're necessarily going to get their, their information. Yeah, I mean, I am one to consume news from all different channels. You know, I, I have CNBC up during the day, as you can imagine, yeah. you know, watching what's going on in, in business news. But then I also am, you know, getting a lot of my news across, you know, different social media channels. But then, you know, during during uh, a breaking news moment, I am one to still tune into CNN, where, where I grew up. So. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff, Jen, and we will get your input into some of our stories this week. But thanks for sharing those insights and telling us a bit more about American Express. Ewan, over to you. The PR Week Salary Survey 2023 came out this week. Always a fascinating article, always gets lots of views. I'm Absolutely. sure Jen loves it with all her staffers coming and knocking on the door and saying, <laughs> we want to raise. Um, but uh, what, what were the big findings this year? I mean, there there are loads to unpack from this big feature, Stephen. I I do mean loads, but I'm going to start with something that immediately jumped out at me. Um, The median salary among all PR pros jumped 8.1% to $113,500 last year, which is quite a healthy increase. Um, But there's a ton of other interesting observations. Another one that stood out to me was that the gender pay gap was $35,000 in the 2018 salary survey. This year, it's $22,250. So the gender pay gap is shrinking slowly but steadily. But Steve, to be honest with you, I'm just scratching the surface here. There's a ton more to learn and a ton more interesting data points to check out inside the feature itself. But you'll have to head over to PR Week to do that, to go deeper. Yeah, the gender pay gap, you know, okay, that's a, that's positive that it's not as big. But it's still, we're talking on International Women's Day here, aren't we, Jen? And uh, it's still far too, far too pronounced, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I can say at American Express, we have... Uh, pay equity across uh, all all genders globally, and we're committed to maintaining that. In terms of salaries, I mean, we had the great resignation. We it's it felt like, and it, this isn't a battle between employers and employees, but you know, it felt like employers were maybe in the ascendancy. Employees were a little bit in the ascendancy, and now it feels like it's rebalancing a little bit. What are you seeing generally in terms of? talent. It's a people business, isn't it? So you, you want to get the best talent and you want to hold on to them. And it's not been easy the last couple of years, has it? So I will say, you know, we have a few roles open right now on our team and we're very much, we're continuing to invest in corporate affairs and communications. And we've seen an incredible amount of strong talent coming in for the roles that, that are available. So that's been really positive. And then my personal mantra when hiring is I always try to hire, to your point about the best talent, I always try to hire people who are better than me in a certain area so that I can then continue to learn and grow and lead. And we have seen a lot of great candidates come in lately who I know I'm going to learn from. Yeah, I always do the same and it's not difficult. It's to, not. To find people better than me. It was not difficult <laughs> for me. There you either. go. Ewan, Ewan's been the latest example, one of the latest <laughs> examples. Yeah, it's a, it's a great survey. And I know there's also a premium edition as well. So 
I would def- definitely recommend you digging into that and uh, drilling down into it. Um, the Newsmaker interview this month is with Ulta Beauty's Eileen Zeismer, Ewan, and uh, that was uh, an interesting piece, wasn't it? It was indeed, yeah. She talked a lot about her comm strategy as Ulta, or the PR department's first leader. Um, and one of the contributions that I noted that I thought was particularly interesting was that only a few voices were previously telling Ulta's story, primarily like the CEO and the chief merchandising officer. But now the company's full suite is involved in leading that corporate narrative. They speak frequently about the company in various publications, and they're on panels frequently, and they also give uh, lots of keynotes. And uh, from what from what Eileen relayed, it looks like that diversified storytelling strategy is paying off. I mean, for example, Ulta had a record holiday season last year from an earned PR perspective with uh, an increase in its holiday coverage of more than 110% year over year. So quite staggering statistics there. And there's plenty more of key insights from Eileen that we could discuss. But as I mentioned before, you'll have to head over to PR Week and read the full well, see, news. This maker. is your strategy, Ewan, is it? Just to <laughs> send everyone to the article. Well, I'm okay, I'm that, that's okay. Um, yeah, it, actually, Eileen is their first full-time PR uh, lead. So yeah. that's obviously why they're doing so well, Jen. <laughs> what what, what took them so I, long? I think that's incredible. As someone who was the first PR comms lead at a company at WeWork, actually, yeah, yeah. to uh, building up a team from scratch at Facebook with consumer communications, I have to say, what an exciting assignment. Yeah, and actually, the headline to this piece is Beauty with Purpose, because the beauty industry has, uh, one, it's not necessarily the most environmentally friendly. It's it's had a lot of criticism in terms of its bias towards certain you know people with lighter skin, and I think Ulta has made big big efforts to change that. Um, you're in charge of CSR and ESG at American Express, and purposeful business is something everyone is talking about, and communications is committed to. How do you play that though? Because you know there is a fairly big constituency that thinks why why is business getting involved in this? You know why aren't you just concentrate on what you're supposed to do, make make your products or do your services. Why is, why is purposeful, but we're playing devil's advocate here, why is purposeful business so important, Jen? So when it comes to our corporate sustainability strategy, it's very much aligned with our business. You know, that's, that's, it's very much core to who we are. And it's also aligned with our blue box values. So if you look at our blue box values, they really serve as the foundation for us as a company and our corporate sustainability strategy is very much aligned with it. When I think about our corporate sustainability strategy, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, one of our core pillars is build financial confidence. That's where all of our work around small businesses fits in. And one of our goals is to reach $100 billion in spending at small businesses by 2025. So I think, you know, in our case, you know, I do think our, our priorities are very much aligned with our longstanding contributions to small businesses. Yeah, no, that's good. So let's hope we make that hundred billion. Let's. Well, uh, we're well. We're we're doing. We've had two years so far, and we're 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 on our way. Well, I said this to you and earlier. Never, never, <laughs> never post a target that you're not confident you can hit. <laughs> very so. I'll send you the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. send you the releases, Steve, <laughs> from the, the past two years. You probably remember that from the media journalism <laughs> days. Never, never do an editorial campaign that you know you can't achieve. So, uh, yeah, the other thing going on this week is International Women's Day. Uh, Ewan and yep. uh, the PR industry clearly is 75, 80% female. So, so talk us through some of the things that have been going on in the industry yeah, to, there, to mark that. There are a lot of brands and agency activations going on all throughout this month, actually, which I might note is actually also Women's History Month. PR Week decided to spotlight a few brand campaigns, including 
you know, big brands such as Spotify and Hershey's uh, in a story on Wednesday. Uh, but I wanted to take time to highlight one that I thought was particularly interesting. Miller Lite has said that it will collect all of the beer industries, including its own, outdated and uh, sexist displays and posters. Those ads will then be ground into fertilizer that women farmers will transform into hops. From there, women brewers will then transform those hops into brews. And there's a bunch of other uh, PR Week has a roundup of women-led agencies sharing their efforts this month. That should be coming out soon. In fact, it actually might be live as we speak. So keep an eye out for that one as well. And Jen, you've got your Backing Small initiative, I think, which is, is, is related into International Women's Day. Anything else that's going on? Yeah, I mean, 53% of our uh, global workforce are women. So we're very excited about that. But I do have to add again, Steve, I was reading that report last week and only 40% of CCOs are women. And over a decade, it's only increased by 1% each year. So love to see Yeah, so it's that old thing about, yeah, okay, there are 75, 80% women in the industry, but not at the top levels. And I guess that speaks to the salary numbers as well, because if there are a lot more junior people who are women, then the numbers, the averages are going to be lower. I think if you look at um, agencies, it's a lot better in the last decade, a lot more female CEOs uh, in the top 10. It even was more women than men as CEOs, but it's got to go through the C-suite. And we do track that uh, in our agency business report, which is coming out in the start of May, you know, the number of... uh, women C-suite leaders and uh, the number of offices run by women throughout the world. So, yeah, we're definitely keeping a, keeping our eye on that one for sure because um, people can tend to forget about those, those targets and they're important that we hold people to account. Papa John's, Ewan, this was your story. Yes, so you should be able to tell us loads about I this can't one. Tell you, I can tell They've you They've hired Edelman one. for IR and corporate support. Yep, they have reunited for IR and corporate comm support. Um, the two companies previously... Does it feel so good? <laughs> now, that's way before your time as a song reference, but... <laughs> I, I think I, I caught that one. I think I caught it. <laughs> that sounds vaguely familiar to me. <laughs> your parents would. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Well, the two companies did work together back in 2014. That time, Papa John's hired Edelman. It's its US PRAOR. Uh, but now they're back together for IR and corporate comm support. Uh, some notable information on this story is that there was no incumbent on the count. Papa John's had previously managed their corporate comms and IR efforts internally. Uh, budget information was not to disclosed, but we should also note, I think it's important to note that Papa John's is also continuing to work with Current Global on its consumer PR efforts. Some of those are short- shortlisted for the Oscars of PR, which is taking place next week as well. Um, so yeah, good to see Edelman and Papa John's back together. On message there, you, and I like that. Yeah, you mentioned the Oscars of PR, uh, the PR Week Awards. They will be at Cipriani Wall Street on Thursday evening. We're very excited about that. And we will also be ringing the opening bell at NASDAQ on Wednesday morning in honor of the awards and PR Week's 25th anniversary and PR in general. So how about that, Jen? That's con- I'm so excited. Are you going to come join us? I think I will. Can I come? Can I am invited? Can. That's so you can. exciting. You can be one of those people waving <laughs> okay. and get your picture taken outside by the big Fantastic. tower, I've assuming it's not that. raining. So we will uh, arrange and for that. great venue. Fans will love it. Yeah, it's, it's always fun. We We've done that four or five times. Uh, I like the opening bell. It's, it's kind That's of, super it was, exciting. Yeah. So it's going to be a big week next week for sure. And we will doing, be doing this podcast. Well, it'll be a special edition. Let's just say that. And uh, producer Fitz will be uh, working his magic to bring it all together. <laughs> um, let's talk about this Walgreens story, Ewan. Yeah. Um, it's about abortion pills and access to that in different states. 
Yeah. So the focus of the story that we put out yesterday was on Walgreens tweaking its messaging. But to kind of understand that story, we need to back up for a second and get the context. So in February, Republican attorneys general from 20 states wrote to Walgreens and CVS um, indicating that they would take legal action if both of those companies mailed abortion pills within their jurisdictions. Last week, Walgreens told Politico that it had responded to those Republican officials, confirming that it would not dispense abortion pills in any of their states, either by mail or in the brick and mortar locations. But on Monday, Walgreens released a statement that appeared to kind of revise its stance on the matter, um, where it pledged to dispense the abortion medication in, quote, any jurisdiction where it is legally permissible to do so. And Walgreens moves have already had some serious business ramifications, Steve. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom said on Monday that the state will officially cut ties with Walgreens. Um, He said, quote, we're done. We couldn't reach a Walgreens representative for clarification on the messaging, but this is definitely a situation that I'll be keeping an eye on. I think we'll be keeping an eye on going forward. Yeah, I think the the messaging was that uh, they're going to do what's legal, right? They're going to sell where where it's legal. Um, Jen, looking at this from a sort of... um, CSR point of view, every company, had, when Roe v. Wade was reversed, every company had to have a policy on it. And what was what was Amex's approach to that? Well, our approach was to reaffirm our current benefit program, which we had in place. And the other way we dealt with it, which I think is really important for corporate affairs teams, is we also leveraged a framework that was very principles div- driven, that really focused on how, if, and when we respond to any issue. So that's that's what I would say about how we handle these things. Yeah, um, that's when it gets complicated with purpose, isn't it? Because different states have different views, different parts of the population have different views, and it's um, but women's access to healthcare is a pretty fundamental right, isn't it? So that that was one where, and it seemed to be one where actually there was more cross-party agreement in the elections, in the midterms, than people expected. So, uh, yeah, that's one that every company has to navigate carefully. You and to finish up, a story about social media management, which is, you know, a c- crucial part of every brand's communication. And uh, we all have that thing, don't we, where you're like, oh, am I in my work account? Am I in my personal account? Is this my personal email, etc.? And or oh, I've got two Facebook or Twitter accounts or whatever. But that when you're a social media manager, that's pretty fundamental, isn't it? And uh, there was an instance this weekend where uh, somebody was posting inadvertently from the wrong account. Talk us through it. Yeah, it, it's more common than you would think it appears. Um, McDonald's had a post last week where they kind of acknowledged, um, you know, it happens where social media managers are guilty of accidentally liking a post or in some circumstances worse while still logged into the brand's social media account instead of their personal one. Um, And McDonald's kind of acknowledged this relatable situation in a comedic social media post last week. um, And other social media managers were seen in the comments seeming to appreciate the brand for kind of humanizing this role and how this can happen actually pretty frequently. So then we at PR Week chatted to a few social media managers, notably from Lyft, uh, Auntie Anne's and American Eagle, and they explained just how easily this mishap can happen. Um, I think Lyft social media manager Bree Reynolds has maybe the quote of the week. I'll, uh, I'll read it for you here. She said that she typically catches herself at about 20 videos deep and then quickly goes back to unlike them once she realizes this is that quote. It's probably pretty weird that Lyft liked a video about a dog wedding. So I think that sums it up. Uh, that sums it up pretty nicely. But yeah, that was the one, wasn't it? The dog wedding. Yep. Yeah. No, it's um, it's complicated, Jen. I mean, I was. Um, it's it's not just that. It's also what you comment on or tweet about when you're off duty, if you like. Especially if you've had a couple of drinks over the weekend, because I was that, that aforementioned football match that shall we shall not mention. I I tweeted something 
attached to a Piers Morgan post, and all of a sudden I've got 185,000 views on this on this tweet. And it's not. It was for a change. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't being controversial, but it did just sort of strike me. Wow, that's pretty uh, big reach. It's more than I get for my PR week posts, sadly. But um, you've got to be careful about one about personal tweeting when you're the representative of a brand, but also when you inadvertently are, are in on the wrong account, right? Absolutely. I'd say we have a very strong governance process in place at American sure Express, you do, as yeah. you can imagine, <laughs> uh, with my wonderful partners in GCO and our uh, CMO team, our CMO's team. Uh, but look, we have to be across these social media channels because that's where our audience is. When you look at our fastest growing customer cohort, it's actually millennials and Gen Zs. So we have to be across these these channels and, and we'll continue to do so. But we have a pretty pretty firm governance process in place. Yep. If you work in a regulated industry like finance or pharma, then it's even more important and crucial. So, uh, yeah, that's why you need to read PR Week to work out how to do it properly. <laughs> so, Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Really good fun to have you on the show. Thank you for that. We will... Well, I hope we'll see you at the NASDAQ and the PR Week Awards next week. Well, thank you. On uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we'll have, we've got our Crisis Comms Conference in D.C. on the 12th of April as well. Looking forward to that one. PR Week Global Awards in London on the 9th of May. Our Healthcare Conference and Awards in New York on the 24th of May. And our Brand Entertainment Awards. First year of that. It's the what used to be the Brand Film Festival last day for entries so uh, make sure you've got your entries in for that one that will be in june and if you're an agency don't forget to get your agency business report submissions in soon but that's all we got time for on the pr week we'll see you next time for a bumper show from the pr week awards (laughs) 